Good morning, good morning. You guys sound good. You look good. It's so good to see you. I'm, uh, I know we're in December and you may have come into uh, the room kind of anticipating somewhat of a, a beginning of a Christmas series or a Christmas message, maybe if you haven't uh, been here the last couple of weeks, but we started a three-week series three weeks ago, uh, The Return of the King, and, uh, and today's the final sermon in that series, so we're going to finish that up, and the next week we'll start our Christmas series and, and all of that. So here's the thing you might would imagine that uh, the return of a king is talking about the second coming of Jesus. And so we started this series three weeks ago with the idea um, and, and the truth that the second coming is certain. I mean, it's, any Christian believes in the second coming of Christ, have different opinions as to what that looks like, when it's going to happen, all of that. But we all ag- agree Jesus is coming back. That's like a Christian, foundational Christian belief. But then beyond that, we actually agree it's going to be a great thing. I mean, in fact, we sing a ton of songs about we're longing for the day where Jesus delivers us from this terrible place, this sin-sick, terrible world. And I know there's great things about life, but there are a lot of bad things about living. And so we're kind of longing for the day of deliverance. But here's the thing we have to remember that, and we stated three weeks ago, that while the coming of Jesus is glorious, it's going to be a glorious thing for people who truly are followers of Jesus. It's not going to be glorious for everybody. It's not going to be a great day for everybody. It'll be a day of judgment and a day of separation. And so we're going to finish the series out by looking at Revelation chapter 21. So if you will turn in, turn on your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, and I'm going to go and kind of give you a little bit of a warning. This is a heavy message today. It is a confronting message today. Uh, Christians, um, two, two kinds of people that really need the message, and I believe probably all of us in here fit into one of these two categories. And you may not want to be considered in either one, but I think the message is for complacent Christians, uh, Christians who believe in Jesus, but, but they would admit they're, they're kind of just coasting. They're not necessarily living with urgency like Jesus could come back at any moment. And then there's comfortable unbelievers. Comfortable, I would say lost people. I know that immediately, depending on who you are, you may not even know what that means, but people who don't know Jesus. But here's the reason it's important to say, uh, in particular, unsaved people, because they're people who think they're saved, right? Who aren't. And so it's not just a matter of, being a person who goes to church, for instance. There are people who've been in here all day long, third service, and at every campus, there are tons of people. There are people watching right now at home who think they're good. I mean, they go to church, they're Christian, they're culture Christian, they're, they're Americans. They live in South Carolina for Pete's sake, right? I mean, isn't everybody in South Carolina saved? You know, that's, all, that's what everybody in America thinks. But the fact of the matter is, the belt buckle of the South, the Bible belt, is, is filled with people who have fooled themselves into thinking they're Christians. And they think their granddaddy's religion is going to save them. Or they think they go into a, a building and singing some songs and listen to a guy open the Bible every Sunday is somehow going to buy their way to heaven. That is a lie from the devil. And so with that, we have to understand. I mean, we've got to make sure we know what salvation is and make sure that we have it. That's super important. A relationship with Jesus only happens when we repent of our sins, we turn from our sin and ourself, and we turn to Jesus. So we have complacent Christians and we have comfortable unbelievers 
uh, here today for sure. And this will be a confronting message for all of us. Look at Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to dive into verse 1 together and read the first eight verses. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. Would you say that? Every tear. Say it with me again. Every tear. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. And he who's seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Not some things, all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Verse eight though changes. Verse one through seven, good news. Verse eight, not so good. But as for the cowardly, as for the faithless, as for the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, before we go further, I want you to, I want you to understand, it's not just these specific sins, all right? Because it'd be really easy if you're in here and you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not a bad liar. I'm not, a, you know, my sin's not listed. That's not what the deal is here. It's not, it's not just pointing out specific sins that are going to send people to hell. The whole idea here is, is like those people who are characteristically identified with sin. You may say, well, how can we not be characteristically identified with sin? Be characteristically identified with the righteousness of Jesus. That's the only other choice, right? So it's either we're characteristically identified as a liar or we're characteristically identified with the righteousness of Jesus because he forgave us of our sin. And so there's not an in-between. Either you are characteristically identified by your sin because you've never embraced the grace of God or when Jesus saved you, he changed your identity. And so, and so right here, so important, verse eight, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now I know you get there fast, right? And I know immediately you're sitting here going, dude, this is the first Sunday in December. You got Christmas trees behind you, Wayne. What is up with some hellfire and brimstone stuff? I, wow, Merry Christmas to you too, right? I'm sure that may be on some of your minds, but I had somebody in between services even come back there and say, man, there could be nothing better to start the Christmas season. And we're talking about, we're talking about inviting people to Christmas Eve services. And, and we're, talking about, we're talking about dinner and we're having you know, Christmas meals and parties we're going to go to and, and going to be hanging out with a lot of people, doing a lot of life with people. This message needs to rest on your heart. If you're a Christian, let's just be honest, if you're a complacent Christian, I hope and pray that when you go to sleep, this is what God reminds you of. 
That when you wake up in the morning, this is what God reminds you of. That when you're, when you're sitting across the table from your person you, that you say you love, that this is on your heart and your mind. This is on my heart and my mind. Perhaps the greatest single reality of our eternity is this. God will dwell with us. God will dwell with us. This is the first of three things that I'm going to talk about today. This is an overwhelming reality of heaven. We're going to talk about heaven just a little bit. What's the big deal about heaven? First of all, God is there. I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest deal. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So, so now we know that God in Genesis chapter 1 dwelt with Adam and Eve. So this is not, not a new thing. God has dwelt with man before. When in this perfect garden, Adam and Eve messed up. Man sinned. Sin separated us from God. And then in the plan of God, this awesome providential work, God sends his son, Jesus, and guess what? John chapter one, verse uh, one through 14 talks about uh, Jesus became the word and the word, the Logos dwelt with them. That word dwelt is literally tabernacle. So here's the deal. Jesus, God in flesh came and dwelt with man again, but it was a temporary dwelling, all right? He just came for a season, 33 years. I mean, it's a fact, historical fact. Man named Jesus from Nazareth lived 33 years, was crucified on the cross. So Jesus came, he dwelt with man, God in flesh. At Christmas time, we call this the incarnation, right? What's Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. So it is connected. We understand that God has come and he has dwelt with us before. But the difference here in Revelation chapter 21 is this will not be a temporary dwelling, all right? He's gonna come and he's gonna dwell once and for all. And this passage in Revelation 21 is talking about eternity future. Now, if you're like me, it's not gonna take long to reach the end of your capacity to understand this. Heaven is not about time. We love time, we love chronology. Revelation chapter 21 really messes you up if you're really trying to put things in order. It's, it's really complicated and difficult for us in our finite minds and understanding to understand an infinite concept uh, called heaven. This is eternity future. So what do we know about heaven? We're gonna get back in Revelation 21 in just a second, but I wanna say a few things because if I just mention heaven, I, I would love the opportunity to say a few things that I think need be corrected from time to time about people's understanding about heaven. In our cultural American Christianity, things get really confusing. Here's the first thing. Heaven will be a perfect place. And the whole point of heaven is that it's a restoration of God's plan. It's, a, it's really a restoration of a perfect place where we were in the garden with him to begin with. We had a relationship with him. We messed it up. I know you may say, well, I wasn't there. But in Adam, we all sin. This is what Romans teaches us. And so this broken relationship is going to be restored. That is what heaven is all about. But then secondly, we will not become angels. Go and look at your neighbor and just go and say, you ain't no angel. Go and tell him. Yeah, you're not. Now, now here's the thing. So you may say, why would you even say that? Why do people need to know that? How many times you hear somebody say, oh, heaven's gained another angel. When somebody dies, when you die, you're not turning into an angel. You may say, are you kidding? Everybody, gasp. No, you find that in the Bible, man. That, who told 
you that? Well, my mama told me that. Your mama was wrong. <laughs> Your mama thought you were an angel. She was wrong. <laughs> you proved it to her over the years, I'm sure. But the truth is you're not going to transform into some angel. Well, he's gained his wings. No, he didn't. No, no. It's better than that. What could be better than being an angel? Being a Christian. You know why? An angel, once and for all, there's some doctrinal, interesting conversations about this, but, but early on, you know, way back in the day, uh, a third of the angels rebelled against God. And, and this may be an argument for some of you that you are an angel because a third of the angels are demons. <laughs> there is that. Okay, so maybe you could argue. But, you know, so you got, you got this group of, of angels who made the decision once for all. And most theologians would say that was a once-for-all decision. The angels once-for-all made a decision. And so a third chose to follow uh, the devil, Satan. He was the most powerful of angels, beautiful. He was the worship leader, ironically, Wes. <laughs> worship leader, Larry, of heaven. Watch out for the worship leaders, amen? I'm just telling you. And so, so here's the, the crazy thing. A third went with him, uh, two-thirds. Now they, they really don't have the free will that you and I appreciate and enjoy. And while they do know God and they're in the presence of God, an angel cannot know God the way you can. He can't. An angel can't have that love for God in the way that you have personally chosen to reject sin and self and you have made a personal decision to embrace the grace of God. And so you don't want to be an angel. You want to be a follower of Jesus. And so the Bible does not teach us that we're going to turn into angels. That's, a, that's an American cultural Christianity concept that is contrary to the actual Bible. But then uh, third, we, we're, not going to, we're not going to have to have our minds wiped. Sometimes I think people think somehow we won't remember. The Bible says you will be known as you are known. What's that mean? It means you're going to know each other. Now, you won't be married. Some people don't like that. Some people are pretty happy about it. I don't know. <laughs> but you will know your spouse. Some of y'all, you better watch your facial expressions right now, all right? Some of you are like, oh, good night. You're going to know each other forever, all right? So you'll be known as you're known. But, uh, but it'll be a good thing. And then this is, I think, super important. Heaven won't be boring. I know sometimes we think about the descriptions of heaven and, and it'd be beautiful and, and we'll, we'll worship forever and God will be there. It's just kind of like we, we don't really know and, and I, we can't know exactly what it's gonna be like. But, but, but if anybody would even insinuate that heaven will be boring, that's absurd. That's absurd. Everything that's terrible will be gone. Everything that's bad will be absent. Everything that's good will be present, all right? And so it's, it's absurd to think somehow that it will be boring and, um, and that we won't enjoy heaven. Heaven will be the best experience ever. And why is that? Because final thing, the best thing about heaven will be the presence of God. God will be there. God, who is not just good, but is the source of all that is good, will be there. So... So we see the presence of God, but we also see the absence of evil in heaven. And that's the scripture here in Revelation 21, if we get back to it. Uh, it makes it very clear. Look at verse 4. 
says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. I don't know about you, but that's a concept that's really impossible for us to grasp. Death is done. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. This is heaven. Why? Because the former things, the former things have passed away. They are finished. They are completed. They are done. And so why is there a need for tears to be wiped away? I think that's a good question. Real quickly, I'm going to try to answer it as quick as possible. And I think a lot of times we, we forget about these simple foundational facts about death, dying, and heaven, life eternal. But we've got to establish some foundational facts. First of all, believers go to be with the Lord at death. And so to be absent from the body, here's what 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, again, this makes it difficult and complicated because some people teach, and it's heresy, but they teach that in soul sleep, that somehow like when you die, you just kind of rest. And that's why, honestly, the whole rest and peace thing that American Christianity is created to is also an unbiblical concept. Because when, even Thessalonians, when Paul talks about those who sleep, he's not talking about those who literally are in the grave asleep. He's talking about those who've died. And so we don't, when we die, we don't go to sleep. We, we are either in the presence of Jesus or we're not. And so with that, we understand to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, super important. You may say again, what about time? When's heaven come into play? And again, remember God's outside of time. He's the one who created all things. Genesis one says in the beginning, God. So before creation took place, before the sun was rotated, all, all that, before the earth rotated, I should say, uh, you know, none, there was no time. God created time, which means he's outside of time. He's not limited to time. So even chronology and time and all that, God is beyond it. He is, he's above it. He is not subject to it. But when you're talking about all of that, and we'll get back to the question, what about these tears that are wiped away? What is that about? I want to talk about two judgments real quickly because we talked earlier that the day of Christ's return will be a day of judgment and separation. Revelation chapter 20, if you just turn back a page to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 we see of a judgment that's called the great white throne judgment. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. If you're new to church, you picked a doozy of a day to show up, all right? Because this is heavy, man. And, uh, and I don't want you to think every Sunday we're talking about judgment, all right? But this is in the word of God. And I would be an unloving pastor if I didn't tell you the truth, all right? The great white throne says in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. Who's this talking about? It's talking about God, man. What do we know about a throne? A throne's where a king sits. A, a, a throne is where the king who is powerful and all authoritative sits. This is talking about God. He is sitting in authority and in power. Another adjective here is white. Why is it a great white throne? Because it, it, it shows us the purity and the holiness of God. And, and the significance is important because the great white throne judgment is where sins will be judged. Look at verse 20, chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12, 20, verse 12. Look at verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. What's that mean? Don't matter how much money you got. Doesn't matter if you've been a president of the United States. It doesn't matter. 
I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So God will judge living in the dead for the deeds and the works that they've done. And so this is, it ought to be a super quiet feeling, a sobering thought. But here's the thing. For us, we're like, first question comes to my mind is like, so am, am I gonna be there? God is judging works. Am I, gonna, am I gonna stand before the great white throne? And I wanna be really clear. I have no idea if you are or not because only you and God knows if you're saved. But this is the reassuring thing for those who are confident in their salvation, know that they know Jesus Christ as savior. This great white throne is not going to be a judgment for Christians. This is, but there is another judgment we'll get to in a minute. But this great white throne is a judgment for those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. And they have attempted to live life without him. And so why would you say, this is a good question. Why, why would Christians not be here? Why would, why would just because I rejected Christianity, you know, and Jesus, why would I have to stand there and not you, Wayne? I don't understand what you're talking about. And this is literally basic Jesus stuff, all right? Basic biblical understanding of Christianity. The reason I'm not going to have to stand there is not because I'm a good person. I pray, if it was based on my works, I would be there. If it was based on your good deeds, you would be, you would be judged for all of eternity because of your sin. But the reason that Christians are not going to be at the great white throne judgment is because our sins were already judged in Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That is why you're not gonna have, if you're a Christian, you're not gonna have to be at the great white throne. Well, then that's all good news. It's not all good news because I want you to understand there will be people who will stand before the great white throne. And, and listen, you love some of them. Some of them are your friends. Some of them are your family members. Some of them are people that you're gonna say, would you pass the chicken? next week some of them are are your spouses your children your your grandparents some of them are your neighbors and and look complacent christianity has to be confronted with this reality do we really believe this or not i mean this is the bible this is what the word of god says and so so this is one big major thing why are the tears in our eyes in revelation 21 i want you to think about it I believe we will see people that we love judged at the great white throne. I believe there will be people right now who are on your mind. Already, the Holy Spirit of God is putting people on your heart and your mind that you know right now, if, they, if the day was the day that they died, they would not be in heaven. See, those are the people I believe we will see, we will know are being judged because of their deeds. But then in addition to that, we will be judged. You may say, well, I thought we weren't going to the great white throne. There's another one in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul says, refers to the judgment seat of Christ. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, good and bad. So here's what that is. That judgment seat of Christ will be for me and you. Now, we will not be judged for our sins, not in the sense that the great white throne judgment is. 
In other words, again, our sins have been paid for by Jesus. So we're not gonna be judged for sins in the sense of will we go to hell or heaven? We've been justified. We'll get to that in just a second. Instead, we will be judged for the good things we have done and the good things we have not done. What's that mean? I mean, literally like missed opportunities, impure motives, things we even did good things for the wrong reasons. We will be judged. We'll we'll see the result of our complacency. We will have full knowledge of friends and family who will spend eternity in a place called hell. And this is why I believe our eyes will be filled with tears. But this is the good news. I mean, if there's good news out of all of this, it should challenge us. We ought to want to share with everybody about the love of Jesus and what he's done for us. But here's the reassuring truth. God will make all things new. God will make all things new. And so in that moment of despair and discouragement and desperation, when we see people that we love condemned, verse five says, he who seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. It's one of the most significant promises in all the Bible because this life is filled with disappointment and despair, but a better day is coming when Christ will make all things new. Verse four says the former things are passed away. Verse five, Jesus says I'm making all things new. And so we rest in this promise that a better day is coming. Yes, on this side of the sky, we wake up every day with aches and pains. This morning, I took three ibuprofen on row three right there. Why is that? Because my left knee is hurting. Have you ever woke up and you're hurting and you have no idea what happened? I'm like, I, I look over to Amy all the time. I'm like, hey, do you have any idea why my left knee's hurting? I can't remember. Why is that? We live in a world just filled with pain. We're characterized by pain. Some of it's physical pain. Some of it's emotional pain. But, but all of that, look, a better day is coming when there will be no more pain. Yes, in this life, people let you down. Friends and family abandon and betray you. But a better day is coming. Today, loved ones lose their jobs. Some people in this room can't make ends meet, but a better day is coming. We live in a world where evil men abuse women and children, but a better day is coming. Yes, in this life, we grieve loss. We grieve death of people that we love, but a better day is coming. You fill in the blank. Listen, I'm here to tell you that you may have it bad today. The culture may continue to go south and absolutely lose its mind. The clouds may surround you on this side of heaven. The storms may rage, the waters may rise. The darkness may seem to be winning out over the light. You may feel like you don't know how in the, how in the world you're gonna have strength to continue to fight. I want you to remember that scripture tells us weeping will endure for the night but a better day is coming. Joy comes in the morning. He will make all things new. So he will dwell with us. He will make all things new. Then third and final, he will complete our salvation. Now, again, I talk about justification, sanctification, glorification often. If you've been five times, you've probably heard me talk about that. Why is it important? This kind of message really does help us understand because when we read in verse six, when Jesus says, it is done, I I always, I don't know if you read this way, but I read something like it is done. I ask the question, what is done? What is done? 
I thought Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So why is now in Revelation 21 verse 6, him saying it is done? I thought it was already finished. (laughs) Was it finished or not? What was finished? What was finished when Jesus died on the cross was our justification. You could say there's three tenses of salvation. We were saved. This is again, if you're a Christian, we were saved. When Jesus said it's finished, the price that had to be paid was completely paid. It was paid in full. It is finished. But now we're in this process, the season of sanctification. So we were saved, but now we're being saved. What's that look like? Well, it looks like you're a sinner. Looks like you're not perfect and God is shaping you, right? Just like the potter and the clay, he's constantly showing you, convicting you like today, convicting you of how you can look more like his son, Jesus Christ. And and it's a sanctifying work of salvation as he, he takes out the bad. He refines us with fire and we are being saved even in this day. It's a current process, but there's coming a day there's coming a day we will not just be justified we will not just be sanctified but we will be glorified this will be the finality like the let's say the completion of our salvation well I thought you Baptists believe once saved always saved I do believe you're saved if you're a Christian you've been justified all right you're saved but are you completely saved The reason why you're not completely saved is because you still live in a sin-sick world. You're surrounded by pain. You're surrounded by death. But there is coming a day when you will be delivered forever from this pain. Look at verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God. He will be my son. This is good news, the finality, the completion of our redemption. But keep reading. Look at verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Look at verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, speaking of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it. Why? Because the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb of God, speaking of Jesus. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it. I want to really sit here for just a second because I want you to understand. I've, I remember as a teenager, I used to ask all these really tough questions to my Sunday school teacher. Y'all do this? And I used to I always try to stump her. Her name was Wendy Robinson. If you're watching Wendy, I love you. But boy, I used to try to stump her. And I'd ask questions like this. I'd say, well, you know what? What would prevent if everything was perfect in the beginning and God created us and we had a great relationship with him, and we messed it up. We sinned and then all this bad stuff happened. And now Revelation 21, Jesus has made everything good. Everything's finished. Then what would just prevent it from all happening again? Have you ever wondered something crazy like that? I mean, what, why, what, what would happen? What would stop it from just happening again? Just a terrible, vicious cycle. 
And I think this is the answer. What would prevent it from happening again? God. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nothing. Nothing. Two words in there. Nothing and ever. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nothing. Nothing bad, nothing sinful, nothing terrible, nothing painful, nothing that's dying, nothing that's dead. No, anyone, not anyone who does what is detestable, what is false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So heaven will be perfect because there will be nothing bad there, nothing. Now, man, I want you to remember again, we started three weeks ago. Jesus is coming. This is a good thing. Jesus is coming because it's gonna be glorious for those who are saved, but it will not be glorious for everyone. It will be a day of extreme judgment and eternal separation. Now, I want you to notice the contrast in the, the scriptures that we've read today. For some people, the people of God, heaven. No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, not even pain. For those who've rejected salvation in Jesus, not heaven, hell. Wayne, are you, you really believe there's a literal hell? I want to be super clear. Listen, if I didn't believe in a literal hell, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have given my life to ministry. If I didn't believe in a literal hell, I wouldn't think missions. Why would missions be important? Why would we, why would we go tell people about Jesus? Look, yes, without question. Well, isn't it hateful to talk about hell? No, I want you to think about this. What is more hateful? To tell people the truth that could lead to them actually being saved? Or to allow people to live in ignorance of reality and allow them to die without Jesus? That is not love. That's not love, no matter what the culture tells us in 2022. I'm here to tell you the most unloving thing you can do is keep your mouth shut at Christmas time. When you've got lost friends and family members across the table, that is an unloving Christian. That is not showing love and care to people. Don't let the, the, the liar, the father of love, don't let the devil convince you that somehow a loving thing to do is just say, I'm okay, you're okay. That is not true. God forbid. God forbid. That is not what a Christian does. Look at verse 8, chapter 21, Romans. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. First seven verses, awesome news. Look at verse 8 again. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. What is that? Everyone who is identified and categorized by sin, not the individual sins, but they're identified. Their identity is their sinner. They've not been saved by Jesus. They've, they've not received the righteousness and forgiveness. All they had to do was turn to him. All they had to do was repent and embrace his grace, but they didn't do it. Their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Wayne, why in the world would own? Man, you're talking about this first Sunday in December. You've got Christmas trees on the stage, man. We sang a Christmas song this morning. I mean, why would we talk about this? Because you're going to have 
multitudes of opportunities to tell your friends and family the truth in love. I mean, I, I want you, you guys know if you've been here two times, I mean, literally our, our church is all about sharing the truth in love. What that means is we're not gonna be judgmental. We're not gonna be condemning. You shouldn't condemn. You know why you can't be judgmental? You know why you can't condemn people? Because you're a sinner too. You're not going to heaven because you're a great person. If you're a Christian, you're going to heaven only because of Jesus. So when you sit across the table, don't judge somebody, don't condemn them, but tell them the truth in love with a broken heart. Tell them you love them. Speak the truth. The very least you can do, invite people to come to church, invite people to Christmas Eve service. They're gonna hear the gospel in a way that the Holy Spirit of God could use. So complacent Christian, get uncomfortable. But maybe you're here and you're a comfortable unbeliever and you had no idea you were gonna hear this today. I want you to hear this, man, out of love. I don't want you to run from Jesus because you hear about hell. I don't want you to run from Jesus because you hear about judgment. Man, that should make you run to Jesus. It'd be like this, man. If your house was on fire and you were in my neighborhood, I think we got like six people in my neighborhood go to our church. If, you, if your house was on fire, I, I'm serious, man. I would run and I would like beat on the door. I, I would like to think that I would love you enough that I would, I would break the window open. Now, would I stand outside and go, well, I just don't know. I'd, they might get mad if I break the window. You know, they, if I bust the door down, I'll just, how much will that cost? I just might make everybody mad. I don't want to impose on them because their house burning. They might want their house to burn. That's, that's insane. It's the same thing. Friends and family members all around us are literally on a path that leads straight to destruction. The question is not, do you love them? The question is, do you really believe what the Bible says? Do you really believe it? If you do, the loving thing to do is share. Share with them because you care for them. That's the message. Lord, we love you. God, I pray today would not be a day that we leave sad, but challenged. God, help us, help us be uncomfortable with the grace that you've given us. And I know it sounds so backwards, but God, I feel like we just rest in it so much. We get, we get complacent and we don't worry about other people's eternity. Remind us that every single man, woman, boy, and girl we see today will spend eternity somewhere. Every person we we sit at the table with over Christmas holiday, every family member, every friend at a party. God, we're, we're called to share truth and love. Give us boldness. Give us your grace. We need it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?